Hey everyone, welcome back to Wooden Journey Radio. This is your host, Nick. We have an exciting episode coming up for you guys today where we interview Barakala, who actually works for Conservation International. It is one of the biggest nonprofit organizations in the world, and we're going to hear about the incredible work that he is doing in this episode. I hope you guys enjoy it, and let's keep reforesting the world and making it our greener place. Hi, Barakala. Hi there. Good evening, good morning, my time. Hi, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, no problem, no problem, not bad. I mean, um, during this pandemic time, I guess everyone, each of us is surviving this whole um, weird moment. Very, very true. Everyone kind of doing their own thing and just trying to get through every single day, right? <laughs> That's it. That's it. It's crazy. <laughs> right, man. Well, listen, I just want to take a moment first and just say thank you so much for all of the work that you're doing over in Asia. I really do appreciate it. And I know that um, my Wooden Journey Tree community does as well. So thank you very much, my friend. Cheers, cheers. Likewise. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, I gave a little bit of an introduction about, you know, your organization and your exact mm -hmm. position, but I just kind of wanted to start off and kind of open the floor to you. So, you would kind of just be able to tell everyone a little bit more about mm -hmm. what you do for the environment. Yeah, sure. Um, so um, I've been working um, with um, Conservation International. Um, this is my second time joining Conservation International. So, so the first would be 2016 until 2018, um, supporting particularly Conservation International Indonesia for um, its own blue carbon projects, uh, mainly in West Papua back then. Okay. But then um, I recently rejoined um, Conservation National to, to have a broader sense of um, intervention in the Asia-Pacific region, um, meaning Indonesia, of course, um, Philippines, China. Um, we're looking at projects in Myanmar, New Caledonia, as well as Fiji at the moment, and, and hopefully soon India. Um, um, I guess the, the nature of how we work is to see um, potential blue carbon um, intervention um, in each uh, country program um, to kind of have that kind of expectation of outputs, not only carbon crediting, but I guess we also want to see um, an improvement of, of coastal um, community livelihoods and to kind of provide some like of sustainable financing mechanism for them um, post um, project duration. I guess I guess that kind of gives a bit of, of background what I do. Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you guys have an amazing reach over in Asia already from what it sounds like. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very amazing. So what exactly is blue carbon? Is that pretty much just the conservation of the oceans or is it more like a carbon offset amongst that? Yeah. yeah. So um, it kind of, it kind of developed from the green carbon, of course, it's terrestrial carbon from the forest and um, a few of scientists have have different kind of um, definition of blue carbon because I guess what I'm referring to basically um, according to the ecosystem is the coastal blue carbon, meaning um, taking this definition by the Blue Carbon Initiative, um, mangrove ecosystem, seagrass, as well as tidal marsh, basically. Um, the ones that we're referring to um, high seas or, or deep seas uh, carbon, that would actually refer to the ocean carbon. Um, I guess one of the reason why we don't kind of um, um, 
looking at the car carbon in, in corals, for example, I guess the, the sequestration rate uh, uh, of the carbon and the release is pretty much the same thing. So we're looking at these coastal ecosystems that have high sequestration and kind of keep it in, this, in the carbon pool or carbon storage, we call them, um, um, for, for conservation and climate change mitigation and adaptation, I guess. Very, very cool. So I know a little bit about, I mean, and you're obviously probably way more of an expert in this field than I am, but it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, basically what that would mean, it would be, I know that, for example, mangroves are a very carbon dense area in the world. So, you know, one example of the work that you guys might be doing would be to basically just kind of helping mangroves in order to kind of focus on conservation, because, you know, obviously when you decimate mm -hmm. these kind of natural resources and ecosystems, the carbon kind of goes with it, right? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Okay. So what are some ways that you guys are trying to focus on the conservation efforts there? You know, like how do you guys establish mm -hmm. those programs? It's very interesting. Yeah. So I guess one of, one of the um, exciting um, um, experience or example, um, I would take um, West Papua as an example, because okay. um, I would say West Papua is the, is the last pristine mangroves um, for Indonesia. Really? So if, if you look at Indonesia, archipelago, um, like, like, from the trends, you could really see that the mangrove deforestation is moving from west to east. So it's kind of get deforested um, by development of the plantation. Uh, you have another um, drivers as aquaculture as well, um, small scale aquaculture. But uh, looking at Papua and West Papua, is, it's the last pristine mangrove since the Ice Age, probably. Even just to make it interesting, wow. um, the mangrove forest in West Papua and Papua is, is basically mangrove on peat. So I guess back in the days, um, sea level rise, and then it kind of pushed back the mangrove line um, above the peat ecosystem. So if you think about it, looking from the carbon perspective, you would see mangrove on peat as a high carbon rich um, yeah. ecosystem in West Papua. And coming back to your question, I guess um, what how we kind of do it in West Papua, we kind of do the, the, the indigenous and local community approach for the conservation of, of mangrove ecosystem. I mean, like we couldn't go in and explicitly say that this is blue carbon, you might want to save climate change. But I guess the, the idea is to kind of provide if, if you save mangrove ecosystem, you might save the future of, of the tribe and the people in the coastal by having several sets of benefits like disaster risk reduction, as you may know it, mm -hmm. um, alternative livelihood. So we have this um, established a corporation of fisheries that kind of focus on mud crab, which is a non timber forest product from, from mangrove. And, and you could really imagine a pristine mangrove having that kind of mud crab. I mean, like the size is, is superb. <laughs> and then we kind of developed that supply chain and value chain intervention um, going to Bali, for example, we're sending them to Jakarta with a premium price and having that narrative of conservation um, um, within each products, basically. So, um, yeah, I guess I guess the approach is a bit more um, grounded uh, there. And, and since it's it's the last pristine mangrove, I mean, like we really want to make sure that this whole conservation idea get gets really embedded um, within the coastal community. And, and I guess even before we get there, coastal community, indigenous people have their own conservation system. Um, okay. If I'm making sense. So, yeah. so I guess they, they, they have their own 
um, that, that passed through generations how to kind of do things sustainably. I mean, like even, even myself spending there for quite some time learning so much. Uh, um, one, one, one interesting story, if, if I may share, I mean, absolutely. Growing up, growing up in Jakarta, I mean, like it's, it's a city life. I mean, like um, every man for, for his own pretty much. <laughs> Um, we're doing a carbon assessment there for, for a couple of weeks, I mean, like three weeks, perhaps. Um, it's, 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 it's nighttime. I'm going out to, um, um, shoreline and just sitting there with my coffee at night. Yeah. And suddenly there's, there's a fishing, um, um, boat coming in, uh, um, small one from the community. And randomly they came to me and say, um, have you had your dinner? <laughs> and I was like, um, not yet. And we're like, <laughs> Excuse yeah, me? we kind of <laughs> over <laughs> And they're saying that we're kind of overfished. We we fished too much tonight. I mean, like you want to um, share some dinner with us? <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> that, that that kind of touched me. I mean, like overfished. I mean, like we're 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 talking in a high level global meeting about illegal fishing, overfishing through MPA, and 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 there I am. I mean, like <laughs> offered a dinner by a stranger, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that taught me much on on that experience, Nick. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you know, you kind of saw it firsthand of, you know, how just the harmless approach of, yeah, we have definitely taken yeah. way too much of our, you know, fair share today. So do you want some yeah. extra? You know, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, true story. True story. Oh, man, that is unbelievable. Well, I got to know, did you did you try it? That's the real question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, I went. I went and we had a great dinner. And even, even he didn't ask my name up until the end and then just... I would just say thanks, and we 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 parted. So wow, wow! I mean, like like a surreal experience, to be honest. Like looking at that, right? Yeah, you're like, wow, that actually just happened, didn't it? Jeez, that's it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, that is really cool. I mean, you just bring up such a good point too with the mangroves, and I've been talking mm-hmm. to a couple of people about this, and I just think it's so true that when you really focus on conservation efforts and really tie it into having a sustainable economy as well for the local people. I think that's what really drives the point home on future efforts being developed by those local yeah. communities, you know, cause then it's tied in not only to, you know, their passion and their appreciation for the natural environment, mm-hmm. but also their livelihood and financial stability as well. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I mean, like, I mean, relating to that, um, um, we're, we're doing both conservation and restoration uh, of mangroves um, in several areas. I mean, like with, with restoration, if, if, I, if I may put it in perspective, they're pretty much not particularly using the area. And we pretty much went there and saying, this is a, a, a high valuable area and you might want to protect it um, intentionally and getting uh, uh, economic benefit as a byproduct from it. Whereas in restoration, the challenge would be beating that opportunity cost. So I guess mm-hmm. the business as usual is there. For example, aquaculture uh, practice, unsustainable ones, is is there. And we we kind of have to have, like you said, the cost-benefit analysis to kind of look the trade-off to kind of shift that uh, business line from the unsustainable, perhaps, and cutting down mangrove into perhaps more silvo fishery, we have this concept of uh, climate smart shrimp where we kind of see mangrove restoration to be part of the whole waste management at the end of the aquaculture to kind of integrate that um, into the whole, um, what you call it, uh, waste management um, chain. So, so I guess the, 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 the challenge is there to kind of see the BAU opportunity cost and how to kind of 
to kind of overcome that opportunity cost to kind of provide that with local community and the most important thing to get their buy-ins um, basically on, on, on that kind of shift. Amazing. Have you guys started to incorporate that practice yet or is that really kind of in its uh, test trial to really get it going? Um, well, I would say in, in small scale, we, we did it in, in the local site level um, with a few of, of um, existing um, fish farmer or aquaculture. And I guess in the West Papua um, example, we kind of did it through conservation and, and awareness. But one thing, one thing that, is, that is really, I would say, that is really interesting because we're working at the national level as well. And we kind of see with, with the national um, agency, we kind of develop this kind of whole trade-off system um, among mm-hmm. sectors, if that makes sense. So kind of like, like a system dynamics or system thinking kind of way of, of modeling. So if, for example, if you, you want to boost up the energy sector, you might want to push down the fishery sector, something like that. So I guess by doing so, we kind of we realize that we, we have this huge gap um, between the national um, initiative, for example, the national target and the local needs or provincial needs, for example. So, so the, the centralized way of thinking um, of national government. I mean, like, I'm, I'm not a politic critic, yeah, but right, I just right. want to say it, <laughs> might as well. Um, the national sense of, of centered and everything got overruled, quote unquote, by, by the central government. And to kind of translate that into the provincial or local level, I guess this top bottom approach is, is way out of date. And I guess, I guess the, the paradigm shift needs to go from bottom up approach. I mean, like, what's, what's the provincial needs? And I guess it's time to provincial and local to say the central government what we right. need and what we want to do instead of doing um, um, the whole national agenda. I mean, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting sounding like a preacher now, but um, at least looking at that gap, I mean, like we, we, we really right. need. I mean, and that's the thing, not at all, man. I mean, and that's the thing. I'm sure it's not even in just, you know, your region of the world, too. I mean, you know, you look at areas you know, that are, you know, fully developed worlds. And, you know, you said it very well. I mean, unfortunately, you know, I try my best too to just try to, you know, keep politics out of, you know, conservation and really just try to do my thing. But, you know, at the end of the day, politics have a say in the matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, you know, as hard as it is to really, you know, have that be a, you know, factor in play, it's something that you also have to consider being a professional in the field. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's something that unfortunately it's just kind of has to be yeah. taken head on first, but you know, that top down approach, the problem with that, I mean, yeah. you see this across the country and, you know, in the U S or, I mean, not even an international level where you have all of these grassroots organizations and all mm-hmm. of these, you know, millions, if not billions of people standing up for climate change and what are governments doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it just makes you think it's, you know, yeah. the message is yeah. out there and it's being heard, but, there needs to be more action on it because we're dealing with such a small time frame in that matter politically. Yeah. So. Agree. Agree. I guess, I, yeah, I guess, I guess relating to that, even, even just to share a bit, I, I started this, this whole conservation and NGO work more on the, on the tiger, Sumatran tiger conservation okay. realm. So, so the, the, the narrative back then was, um, well, it sounded cool. <laughs> I mean, like when, when, um, you talk with people, what are you doing for a living? I mean, like I saved Sumatran tigers. <laughs> Pretty awesome. <laughs> and um, I guess, I guess, like you said, <laughs> like you said before, Nick, I mean, like it started like a, like a focus on species and I would, I would expect my, my work would be so biology, um, looking at conservation, going out to the field, but then you have it. I mean, you kind of, you kind of have this whole 
settings of at the end the decision making comes from a political assessment from perhaps a, a geopolitic assessment and even even you could see like a few of decision going through if you know about the public and the private kind of partnership and how it kind of deals with it and then the 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 casual conversation around that in politics so i guess it kind of teach me a bit like if yes i am doing a thing about the sumatran tigers but i guess to kind of have a full understanding of the policies and yet like you said before to understand the politics itself it kind of gives me a bigger understanding on on, on and strategize things basically right yeah so, i mean yeah. you hit it right on you know you hit the nail right on the hammer in my opinion you know when you have that focus on that species and you start delving into the work more eventually it's going to be come to the fact where you have to see mm. that we you know what policies and laws and structures are in place that you have to focus on so you know it's definitely something that you know comes yeah. into the picture but um going back to the sumatran target that actually brings me to my next question that i wanted to ask you it's more of a fun one but what really sure. inspired you to <laughs> focus on this field like what really you know ignited you inside to really get yeah. you into this field man yeah so um, that's that's really interesting and and actually a few bunch of yeah we had that um conversation as well <laughs> at the office because um I, that's that's a I got a doppelganger basically at the office just as this Plus is a fun story basically but um we don't we, <laughs> no we don't we don't felt we don't felt that we, we're alike but at the office people do kind of mismatch us I mean like even calling names and and sending emails I mean like emails that should go through oh, me funny. it goes through him so so anyway um we, we got compared over time um and a few of our our, our um, um junior officers that we have a discussion with if, if looking at him, he's he basically he's he's working on Elasmo branch, so it's it's more like a whale shark and manta ray uh, species conservation, which is yeah, super cool. great and super cool. Um, and I guess the discussion would raise that he's more of a specialist kind of person, so focusing on that area, I mean, like knows every little detail about it, and and you name it, he's the the Elasmo branch encyclopedia basically. But then it's kind of shift the discussion to myself and looking at my career, <laughs> um, they would kind of consider me the, a generalist. So, so I guess I would just raise this, this kind of two way of approach in, in the NGO work. I mean, like over time, I could see a few of my friends being a specialist and a few of them being a, quite a generalist. So there's, there's pretty much a plus and minus points in, in each. But um, I, I kind of took the generalist one because like, like, if, if you see, I mean, like, I, I bet you, you know, I started from palm oil, waste, waste management, going through Sumatran tigers conservation and then jump into marine world yeah. with blue carbon. So it's a bit here and there <laughs> <laughs> and, and right. going where the, the wind field. blows, I guess. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but the idea to kind of to kind of have that broad understanding of the whole situation, I guess. And, and like, I kind of pick I kind of pick this marine world and coastal as as the the specification so trying trying to kind of see from that t person kind of point of view so so to get an understanding of what is happening in the climate realm overlay that with the ocean realm so you get that kind of um what you call it um, um intervention and alignment in between and then to kind of translate that into the blue carbon works what can what can i as a as an individual could intervene to that whole two realms of ocean and climate through blue carbon um, um, topics basically to kind of address the climate change adaptation mitigation, but at the same time we're talking about coastal protection, um, coastal restoration, and so forth, and, and communities, uh, which plays a big part. And I guess 
during during my time now, I kind of put that extra layer of finance. Uh, so looking like a a more in-depth, viable finance, a possible blended finance. And we're looking, mm-hmm. one interesting thing on finance, we're looking to kind of including the insurance company uh, for wow. coastal protection, um, looking from the risk. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like some kind of a EPR uh, things that they're doing on the marine pollution. So, um, yeah, I, I would say all in all to your question, I'm more like a generous person and trying to be a specialist. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> I mean, well, hey, I mean, it's very cool because it kind of seems like through this role that you have, you're kind of able to intertwine a lot of the, you know, different specialties that you've had Mm -hmm. in your generalist, you know, (laughs) professions that you've had. So that's very, very cool (laughs) and exciting. I'm happy that you're, uh, you know, finding that balance in between. It's a very cool thing in that field, though. (laughs) Um, It sounds like you're liking it so far. So that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) Well, listen, man. So I have one more question. I try to end on like an inspiring, you know, an inspiring note for our, podcast but you know this could be either you know directly in your office exactly what you're doing your overall organization i know conservation international if you know anyone that's listening isn't aware is a massively big organization and a massive ngo and nonprofit that's doing incredible work but what would you say if you had to say one certain thing what would you say you are most excited for in the terms of you know combating climate change or ocean conservation or anything you know of the sort in terms of the environmental field Wow. Well, that's a tough question, Nick. It's a critical um, thinker one. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. You got to do the system dynamics kind of analysis first. <laughs> um, I guess, I guess, I don't know. I mean, like, for me, for me specifically, I mean, like, personally, there's this whole environmental and conservation work starts in a very young age. I mean, like, th- that, that kind of passion um, um, yeah. for animals. I mean, like we all started from animals. I mean, start from there and looking at habitat, looking at that concerns. I mean, like, I guess throughout time, it kind of, it kind of embedded in me to, to become a passion. And, and sometimes I felt a bit like quite emotional about it, yeah. to be honest. And, and, and I, I felt really lucky to have this passion and the, um, um, my line of work kind of intertwine each other. So, so, so if you know that ikigai way of life of the Japanese people, it, this kind of interlinks <laughs> uh, one to another. Um, but I guess coming back to your question, uh, I kind of realized throughout time, and perhaps this is coming from that experience as well um, in West Papua, throughout times, even though people look at me as more like a science kind of person, a bit of a policy and a bit of chunk of finance, but, but I have this utmost interest basically of indigenous people. And, okay. and and community because I I would say that particular sector I'm not saying I'm an expert but I, I say that particular sector would it's it's its own book that that hasn't been revealed mm-hmm. much so I guess spending time there you could really see you have many revelations throughout time I mean like oh this is a new thing for me oh this is how they do this oh this is and you kind of connect that to our scientific world. I mean, like we have this methods of um, community-based fisheries management. I mean, like they've been doing 100%, that for 100%. basically, yeah, and, and generations. In West Papua, that is a system we uh-huh. call SASI. And the, SASI is basically a sustainable um, management. So pretty much they, they can open the area and they can close the area uh, based on the season. So if, if it's a reproductive season, they kind of pretty much close the area. And then when you have... Um, a lot of um, adult fish, they could really open the area for everyone to fish there. So, so I would say like, this is a community-based fisheries management. Yeah. And, and, 
and looking at that and having that kind of revelation kind of kind of pulls me into the this indigenous world where i guess things should be the other way around i mean like i think now science needs to look at it and 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 to kind of learn from it basically um how they do things yeah uh, and and especially just bringing the narrative of this whole pandemic thing i guess it kind of teaches to go back to basics i mean it kind of teaches to what is your basic needs i mean like into into day's yeah. unit if you know what i mean i mean like even we were thinking like what should we eat for today and and how are we going to source that food right <laughs> so um yeah going back to that question i would i would really have that huge appreciation for indigenous people and and the um indigenous custom uh, rights basically that that haven't been much revealed by the yeah. science community. Bravo. That was such an incredible answer. I mean, we literally just had Indigenous People Day across the world. It was, I believe it was just, what was it, two yeah, days yeah, or yesterday? True. I forget which exactly day, but I mean, geez, it's just, it's so yeah. funny because, you know, it's just 100% sure to everyone that's listening. It's 100% sure. I mean, we're at a point where, you know, like you mm -hmm. said, we're at a point where we have to go back to the basics. And, you know, it was just climate week in New York City. You know, I'm in New York right now, so... You know, I was trying to follow mm -hmm. that a little bit. And, you know, they have the countdown, you know, right in the middle of the city. And, it's, you know, we have seven years to act. We have to be stewards to our lands. And, That's you know, it. all of these indigenous communities, you know, all across the world are basically saying, well, yeah, that's just what our culture is. You just take care of the land. It's not that hard. It's back to square one. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's what we need to do. It's like you that's said, it. we just have to take a step back and say, like, all right back to the basics that is what we need to do <laughs> absolutely yeah it's yeah. it's so true and yeah, yeah. and i just so i think and the other thing that you know we have to really focus on you know tying into those indigenous communities you know these areas that we focus on conservation you know especially you i'm sure you know these are areas where people live these are their homes it's not just about the environment as well but these yeah. are not only habitats for you know, different kinds of wildlife and biodiversity, but for people as well, you know, this is their homes, this is their house, you know, these are important things that, you know, we need to be able to show that these communities have just as equal rights as every other one that may, you know, have, you know, for someone that may live in a developed yeah. world as well. So I, I just couldn't agree more with that. It's so, it's so true and so important nonetheless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, totally agree. I guess, I guess one, one thing that, um, struck me much and, and a few of, of, of my colleagues basically the, the more time you spent out in the field I guess it's kind of changed your perspective in life <laughs> not trying to be philosophical but I guess I guess yeah we, we've seen in many documentaries basically I mean like people spending time there uh, with the people with with the ecosystem itself even even I had times that it seems like when I go there, I'm I'm going home, and then when I go back go back home, I'm going to the office. So so that kind of, <laughs> that kind of feeling kind of, kind of struck me much because that that simplicity and the concept of life where you take what you need is is an expensive way of thinking in in this in this current world. Basically, I mean, like the the inf even even we talk with the with the local leaders there and. We're expected talking about like culture, um, system, uh, and heavy stuff. But the the thing that the, he's been talking all night long was the invention of money. Yeah, if you think yeah. about it. <laughs> so it's it's a basic question. Like, why would we need that if we have to exchange <laughs> right. things? I mean, like, 
if I could change my my shoes for your like expensive phones, but you would need that shoes for for your foot not to be get right. like toasted or something <laughs> like that. I guess it's it's basic needs. I, I know. I mean, like it's it's a really basic discussion. And and to be honest, like having that exposure for some time, it kind of sh- changed the way we see things. I mean, like and 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 to be sitting in some a few of high level meetings, for example, talking about initiatives and so forth. Not that that is not great, but I guess we need to kind of ground a few conversation and discussion around conservation and, and start from there, at least um, 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 from my Yeah, no, I love that. It's true. It, you know, we have to really emphasize on the principles of the field instead of just trying to, you know, to like initiate those initiatives. You know, I, I think it's important to have that groundwork and that base layer in the field. So every other group that is working yeah. knows the basis of what needs to be done. I, I think it's very, very true and very well said, man. Yeah. Very good. Very true. Well, listen, yeah. this has been absolutely incredible. Um, we definitely have to talk soon because I've had a bless and I think we have a lot more to talking to do. So unfortunately our recording is almost oh, yeah. up, but um, yeah. I would love to talk soon, man. It's been great getting to connect with you further. Sure. No problem. Love to be connected. Yeah. Like, thank you. It's, so it's not an honor. for me as well. It really is. So, Listen, I hope you have an awesome rest of your day and week. Um, keep up the good fight over there, my friend. Keep working yeah. toward curbing climate change. We need everyone <laughs> that we can get. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> right. Thanks very much, Nick, oh, for, for voicing this. And everyone that's listening right now, check out Conservation International. They're an incredible group. <laughs> incredible group. <laughs> uh, yeah, cheers. I'll talk cheers. to you soon, man. Have a good one. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Talk soon. Wow. All right, guys. So that was our interview with Barakala over in Asia with Conservation International. I really do commend him for all of his incredible work that he's doing over in Asia in our shared field of conservation. It's really, really amazing. And again, guys, it's just so important to remember that it's not just about the conservation of the area. It obviously helps the environment a lot, but it also helps the local communities as well that call these areas home. And again, Barakala, thank you so much for all your amazing work. We really all do appreciate it. And to everyone who's listening, we have an amazing episode coming next week for you as well on Wooden Journey Radio. So I will see you guys next week. Let's keep making the world a greener place and let's reforest the world. I will see you guys all next week on Wooden Journey Radio.